in college, I had a friend that passed away from actually from breast cancer. And I think that that for me was the first moment that I realized I wanted to take care of cancer patients. When I was exposed to the fact that you could do orthopedics and still take care of cancer patients, that was like a, it was a, the light bulb went off. You know, it was like, that's, that's my, that's what I got to do for the rest of my life. Aha, there it is. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 12 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I had such a blast sitting down with my teammate, Wakenda Tyler, this week. Wakenda puts the bad and badass and is a total rock star. When she isn't saving lives in the OR as an orthopedic surgical oncologist, she's crushing it on the roads, track, and cross-country trails as one of Central Park Track Club's top masters runners. We talked about when Wakenda first decided she wanted to pursue medicine and how her two key mentors, Ed McCarthy, a bone pathologist at Hopkins, and Carol Morris, an orthopedic oncologist she met during her residency, guided her towards her unique specialty. We talked the changing landscape of medicine during COVID-19 times and how that's impacting her practice. No elective surgeries, non-malignant cases have to wait, and the stress that causes for both patients and families how she's managing her 30 residents under her care, and how they're now being rotated into the ICU in frontline areas, and how she's having to manage that real-life change for her and her team. The PTSD, the stress levels, the fatigue, and the frustration that Wakenda and her team are facing daily. What keeps her up at night? What's her biggest fear? Bringing coronavirus home to her family to her husband, David, who has asthma and a compromised immune system, and her beautiful 16-month-old son, Miles, who made a guest appearance on Run Chats, which was really a lot of fun. Where and how does she fit in running, and how does that make her a better person, a better doctor, and a better wife? We had so much fun in this conversation. I think you're all going to enjoy it. So let's dive on in, and let's take a listen. Tyler, how are you? Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. It's a pleasure to be here, Ron. Thanks for having me on, and I'm doing great. And thanks for uh, for chatting with me. Yeah, this is going to be fun uh, for everybody listening at home. Uh, Wakenda and I run for Central Park Track Club in New York City, so that's how we originally got to know each other. And uh, recently, uh, as part of my fundraising initiative to feed frontline healthcare heroes. I found out about some of the amazing work Wakenda's doing right here in my beloved New York City, and I thought, what better guest to have on? Somebody who's right there on the front lines in the fire, and I just thought it'd be great to get your perspective on what it's like right now for your team, the residents that are working under your care, and what what that experience is like right now in New York City. Yeah. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for asking. I guess I'll start off by saying that I'm um, an orthopedic surgeon, so um, I'm not one of the, normally one of the people that would be right on the front lines, and I have not been on the, like the immediate front line compared to some of my colleagues who are in emergency medicine and in the ICU who are really having to deal with death every single day. Thankfully, I've been a little bit more removed because my area is oncology, so I take care of patients with cancer in the bones and the soft tissue. But um, everybody 
everybody in the hospital has been, you know, impacted by this in, in many, in, in more ways than one. For us, um, we had to shift, you know, we, we went from trying to crank out cancer patients and, and take care of people to suddenly putting the brakes on and telling people with real tumors and real problems that they can't have surgery right now and that they have to wait um, for, for, for some period of time, which is hard, right? People are scared. And even for benign tumors, they still want them addressed and taken care of. And in that initial period, I still had to get some cancers done because you can't let somebody with a, a really bad tumor in their knee, for instance, that's going to potentially metastasize. You can't let them sit around for eight weeks, right? So you have to find a way to do that surgery, keep that person somewhat safe, right? Like if you can, and still keep them moving. Um, so that's been the big challenge for us. Um, and I'll just comment that my residents have been outstanding. We have a, a team of about 30 residents and um, they've been redeployed to the ICUs, to the ERs. Um, they've been um, placed in, in, in situations that they never imagined they would be in um, because they went into orthopedic surgery. They thought they'd be fixing bones all the time. And now they're, they're seeing um, people dying around them all the time and, 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 and dealing with it really uh, well, really responsibly and really thoughtfully and, and really maturely. So I got to give them credit. Will they probably have some, some post-traumatic stress disorder? I, I can't imagine that they won't. So, so we'll have to deal with that down the line, but they've been phenomenal that, and that's basically where we've been at these last few weeks. That's a, that's a great roll up. Um, it's, it's real life trauma. Um, it's something that I talk to being in the healthcare tech fringe space with my friends, um, my frontline employees, colleagues, um, uh, people like you that I've gotten to know it's real life trauma. And it's, it's, it's just having enormous impact on people's psyches, physicians, EMTs, nurses, uh, frontline people. And then here you, you focus on a specialty an incredibly, you know, unique specialty, right? Do you think this is exactly what your plan is going through medical school? And, you know, you get a chance to work under a rock star like you, Akenda. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're in the triage unit now. Uh, this is MASH <laughs> television and we need to deploy you over here. And some of these people got to be going like, what the hell's going on here? This isn't what I went to medical school for, right? I mean, that, that's, but that's real life. That's right. That's exactly right. It's real life. And, and they've all handled it well. But you're right. They, they didn't sign up for that. They didn't sign up to be in the emergency department trying to save the life of, of somebody in a minute's notice. That's not what they originally signed up for, at least in that role. They were, you know, that, that they'd be fixing a bone or fixing a pelvis or something like that, not not dealing with somebody in respiratory distress. But, you know, the, you know, the nice thing is everybody stepped up. All, all of the residents and, and some of my colleagues, you know, orthopedic attendings have been in practice for five, 10 years. They were in the ERs and in the EDs, you know, taking care of patients in respiratory distress. And that's not what they thought they'd be doing. They thought they'd be fixing, they'd be putting hip replacements in people. Yeah. Well, it's got to make you proud um, to be part of uh, such a great team. I mean, you work for an amazing hospital. Um, one of the highest rated in the country. So you got to have a lot of pride there uh, individually for being part of such a great health system. Um, but one of the original points you made earlier, and it's something I'm acutely aware of, but I don't think a lot of people are, particularly that are outside of the epicenter of where we are in New York. And I really have to include New Jersey because I live in New Jersey now. I'm right across the river. New Jersey is literally getting blasted and hammered. Our numbers are, are really horribly bad. And if you take our numbers out of the rest of the world or the rest of the United States, of course, people want to reopen. Of course, people, let's say, let's get back to business because where they're from, where they're operating and where they're living, it, it seems okay. 
Um, I don't think people realize that like elective surgeries are off the table. A lot of things that would normally be able to be done, to your point, somebody wants to have surgery, wants to get cancer out of their body, even if it isn't malignant and they can't follow through with their course of action. You as a caregiver want to perform the procedure. You want to put their mind at ease and make them happy and make them comfortable, whether they're a mother, a father, maybe they're a young kid. It could be, uh, you know, someone who's really young and age, you know, could be a factor. And yet- the hospitals and health systems have have to shifted, you know, how they're allowed to treat care at this point. I mean, how and and what is what is that like for all of you? It's been tough because, um, you know, exactly as you said, there's been you know some colleagues of mine who are are hip surgeons or uh, or uh, hand surgeons, and they they can't do their elective practice at all. Like that's been totally sidelined. For me, you know, it's been tricky because I've had to decide. What patients, and, and, and I'm not an ethicist, so this is a tough decision. What patients are, okay, deemed urgent enough that they need to be done during this, this pandemic? And which ones have slow enough growing tumors or benign enough tumors that can wait a few weeks, a few months, you know, down the line? And that's a tricky thing. I mean, there's some more black and white stuff, like the obvious malignant cancer that has to come out. We know that, but there's some of this, there's a lot of great tumors that are, are in between that are growing and causing problems for people and could destroy their, their body if, if left alone, but may take a longer time to do that. So that's been tough. It's been tough. And we, every, every single case we do now, we have to get approval from an ethics committee that makes a special decision. And so there's this whole process that takes place. It's been very tough, but understandably it's, it has to be what it is. Yeah. And I wonder, are all, I'm sure other hospitals and other systems have to be following similar guidelines. I'm sure they've had to create them more or less ad hoc as you're going, but I'm sure that master's in public health is serving you, serving you well now, getting that extra education there. Um, I bet uh, they weren't teaching some of this stuff when you were, when you're getting your master's in that area, right? No. And you're right. It is coming in handy, mainly for arguing with people on Facebook about like <laughs> the fact that they're, you know, wrong about the statistics of, of you know, what's going on. But yeah, but yeah it, it actually has been helpful because, it, you know, you're forced, whether you want to or not, to step back and take a bigger look at the bigger picture and make and have to make decisions for yourself and for your patients on that bigger picture. So. Yeah. Let's not even wade into the Facebook waters, but if we do, it'd be a fun, fun topic. Cause I actually, I think we actually should a little bit because, uh, one, of, I think one of the things, um, that I found, um, that I've been able to help with friends and, and colleagues like yourself is that I can just, I'm just somebody that people can vent to and they could just unload their stuff on because this is like, this isn't trauma, like in a, in a light way, this is like PTSD. This is like coming back from, from combat, uh, just, adrenal fatigue overload. I mean, this is real life, like people coming home, um, not really uh, even knowing if they're going to talk to their husbands or wives, their children. Um, are they comfortable walking into their apartment? Like this is real life stuff. So talk a little bit about for you, not your colleagues, you and your own family life, what that's like when you leave the hospital, when you come home and, you, and you're bringing that stuff home with you or, and how do you, how are you dealing with it? Yeah. So for me, I have to say that, yeah, it, it's been partic particularly in the very beginning, it was really challenging because I've got a 16 month old son at home and I've got a husband who's got asthma. And so you're, you're very fearful and you're carrying around this fear that you can't let go of, of not so much yourself getting sick. Cause yeah, I feel like I can handle this, <laughs> you know, of course, you know, being, being naive in, in some respects, but, but you, you, you do have this 
awful fear of, of giving it to your family and them getting sick or even like really sick, you know, if they get a mild illness, okay. But the really severe case, and that would be, you know, it's too heartbreaking to, to even have words for. So for, for, you know, I have to say most days, even now I, I leave for work, I try to wear clothes that I don't care too much about. If they do get kind of ruined, I can throw them away. But I come in the door and I immediately strip down and take all my work clothes off at the door and place them in a plastic bag and and, and throw them in the laundry immediately. So that's one thing I have to, and wash my hands and, and, you know, basically just and wash my face before my, which is very hard because my 16 month old son, the minute he sees mommy come through the door, especially if I've been gone for eight, nine, 10 hours, 12 hours, um, he wants to run up and grab me. So that's the challenge is I've got to do this, put my hand out and push him away. The Heisman pose. I got to do the Heisman pose yeah. exactly, and uh, get my clothes off as quick as possible, and 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 then wash my hands and usually wash my face, etc., so that so that I can feel comfortable. But I've been doing that for weeks on end. That's been a nonstop thing, and and it's and it is it's it, it wears on you because there's this you know the constant fear that's going on in the back of your head is always there. Um, and I have to say, you know, the PTSD part of it, I've been fortunate. To, I mean, a lot of my patients have had COVID, and I've had to take care of many of them. Thankfully, most of them have actually done well. The ones I've had to personally take care of. They haven't had severe forms of it, but that's been good from, from my standpoint. But I have to tell you, I, you know, I go to the ORs, you know, now to take care of a patient and the poor anesthesiology resident, you can see that they are just like wiped out. And when you talk to the attendings, they'll tell you that every single one of their residents has been in the ICU for days and weeks on end with no break and just seeing one death after another and feeling somewhat hopeless in some situations and not feeling that they can do everything they could possibly do to help the pe- the patient that they want to help, that part is going to be with those residents for the rest of their lives, you know, and that, I, 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 I worry about their well-being, you know. Well, that, that was profound and so beautifully stated. And I want to unpack uh, pieces of that. First off, you know, the coming home experience. Um, Anna Johnson is a good friend. Um, we know her as a runner, an awesome runner who com- competed in the Olympic trials down in Atlanta. She was on the Runners of New York City podcast talking about her own experience, you know, getting out of Sloan Kettering, um, working in uh, the GI cancer care unit and coming home. Same thing, two young boys, not as young as 16 months. I think that they're maybe four and six years old, but the same thing, the clothes. It's, it is the, the best analogy. It's combat. It literally is like combat. It's physically exhaustive. You're on your feet for untold hours. There's almost no breaks. And here's the thing that people don't grasp. Um, Groundhog Day is a funny movie. It's, it's, it's a laugh out loud movie, but it also is a wonderful storytelling movie, right? I mean, he's stuck and he's trying to improve himself and he's learning to read French and quote Voltaire and do all these things to try to win her over because who wouldn't want to win her over? She's beautiful and she's funny. And, you know, he's just, just a genius. Um, you know, Bill Murray's just great. And every single moment of that movie makes us laugh. And I'm in a, a running group. And one of the things we try to do is come up with some books to read or movies to watch, you know, during this thing that might help. And that was my suggestion. But here's, here's the analogy. It's Groundhog Day as a physician, as a doctor, as an internist, as, as a nurse, wherever your role, an anesthesiologist, whatever your role is, the problem is, and this is what people are not grasping, the doctors can't really help, okay? There's almost nothing you can do for a patient when they get to a point. It's either they go on the ventilator and they die, or 
they magically come off the ventilator and they recover. But the thing I think what people are missing is you go to school, you put all this work in, you study so hard, you want to make an impact in life as a physician, as a caregiver, as a nurse. And now what can you do? Your hands are so tied and they're so little impact you can really have other than caring as a human being and showing up every single day, which is why I have to stay in the fight, feed healthcare workers, because damn it, I want to help you and these other people feel special. I want you to know that somebody's looking out there for you and the people that are donating to me, they believe in it too, because it makes a difference to know that, hey, I haven't eaten anything in 12 or 14 hours. That's real life in healthcare, okay? Because you're passing a vending machine and you know grabbing a bag of chips and, and drinking a Snapple or a diet soda. That is not what you need to be on your feet working under these conditions. And then, the, the, like I said, that, 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 the pull, that, that negative pull of being beaten and not being able to help. And where my, where my close friends that are in it like you are struggling with the most is, you know, everyone wants to say, we love you guys. We love the healthcare heroes. Give the claps, do the nice things. But it's, it's hard to feel really good when you don't feel like you're impacting what's actually happening, right? We're not like winning this thing at all. Like too no. many people are dying. That's right. That's exactly right. The problem is by the time, you know, there's a subset of patients that do fine, but once they hit the hospital and they're in that critical point, a lot of it is out of your hands. Just as you've said, you're, you're trying, you're doing your best. And as a physician, you've been trained to do, like you've been told to like do something. So you're like trying to do stuff, but that doing stuff isn't really making this, this difference on that person. They're either going to go in one direction or the other. And a lot of times you don't have a lot of say or control over that, you know? Well, I, I just know that, um, the people that care so much for their patients like you and, and my, my dear friend, Anna, and, and so many others that I've been fortunate enough to meet and get to know um, in my business life, you know, working in healthcare tech, but also through running because, you know, we, there's something special about um, our running community and how we look out for each other and how we'll just like get in the ring or get in the arena to try to help others out um, if, they, if they need it. And I just know, um, like last night, my mom had to get rushed to the hospital with a near 104 fever. And, um, you know, it's after midnight and I'm messaging with my brothers. And it's just, it's that horrifying pit in your stomach that you just described so beautifully where it's like, oh my God, well, of course, what is the very first thing you think? She has COVID, God forbid. She's going to be 88 years old. She's had lymphoma for nearly 30 years, compromised immune system. These are all the things that stack the deck against anybody. You said your husband has asthma. So you have that fear yourself of coming home. He's compromised in a way that others aren't. And although he's not your, my mom's age, um, it's something you are facing that worry and angst and it wears on us. It beats us down. Um, and I think, you know, we don't sleep as well. Um, we don't recharge as well. We're not getting that same level of deep sleep and, and people in healthcare, they, my God, the, the hours that you all put in and the shifts that you work, um, it's extraordinary. And I'm just thankful that, you know, you're all getting attention and people are recognizing the value that you guys all bring to the table because it was there long before COVID. Um, and, you know, I just think, um, you know, I just, just hats off to you, you know, for all, for all that you are all doing in this, uh, epic battle that we're in. And, uh, my prayers are with you all every day before I go to bed at night, you know, it's my mom and my son first, and then it's my own, you know, direct siblings and family members. Uh, my ex-wife and my super, super close friends and my circle. And then it's everybody, blanket, healthcare, all people. <laughs> and of course, anybody who could be working on cures and uh, research and things, because we got we to gotta hit everybody. We have to. We have to, Wakanda, for sure. So um, let's talk a little about at what age did you decide you wanted to get into medicine? 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I, um, so I was in, I, I've no, there's nobody immediately in my family that was, a, that is a physician. So I'm the first physician in my family. Um, and so for me, it was a bit of a circuitous route because I didn't have somebody to sort of guide me in that direction or inform me about the field. I was in college and I was a, a studious student, a very a good student. And my, I joined the honors program and was doing some things that, that, you know, studious students do, I guess. And my, and my, a couple of my professors actually approached me. I was always very good at math and science. It was always an easy part, easy field for me to like kind of do well in. So I, a couple of my college professors approached me individually and just said to me at the beginning of my freshman or the end of my freshman year, you know, you should think about medical school. Uh, You'd probably be really good at that. And I just, and it was the first time it had even you know, entered my mind. So I was probably 19 years old or close to 19 when that thought came into, into my head. And I thought, yeah, I like taking care of people and I'm good at math and science. I'm going to go to medical school. So Wow. So first, first time on campus, John, Johns Hopkins, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, wow, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the things I always like to, uh, to unpack and, and visit with people that, that come on the show is like, you know, where did they, you know, follow their, you know, get their path in life that they wanted to follow. My last guest, uh, Darcy, we talked a little about before we came on the air and she discovered um, how important it was to help young kids uh, with reading difficulties, reading reading struggles, and eventually became a dyslexia therapist. And now she's just having a profound impact, uh, was teacher of the year and started a running program for the kids in her school. So I just love hearing like what lit that spark. And, you know, sometimes it's a mom or a dad, as you said, or it's a sibling. Um, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's an academic advisor, one teacher who notices something in you and they weren't, maybe it wasn't something specific, but yes, you were talented in math and science and that was enough. And look at that. So you have them, you have them to thank for, you know, getting you on this path. And, um, so how did you, you know, go from there, you know, taking the medical school track, how did you decide what area you wanted to specialize in? So I, um, had, I actually, so I, you know, it, orthopedic oncology is one of the smaller subspecialties of orthopedics. And uh, so there's not that many of us in the country and it is a small, it's a rare one for people to go into. I always wanted to take care of cancer patients. And that was probably early on for me in college. I had a friend that passed away from actually from breast cancer. She was a friend of the family, but she uh, was important in my life and a mentor. And uh, she passed away from metastatic breast cancer. And I think that that for me was the first moment that I realized I wanted to take care of cancer patients. And it wasn't until I got to medical school that I w- was became um, exposed to the field of orthopedics. I had no idea prior to that what it was. But then I realized I was an athlete, so I was I was a, a ran you know track and field in, in high school and college, and so I always uh, had I've, and I've been running since yeah since I was 16, 17 years old. So um, as an athlete, people naturally sort of push you a little bit towards ortho. And I when I re- I so I started looking into the orthopedic field, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I like this working with my hands. Looks re- seems really cool. I love the mechanics, the biomechanics of it, kind of getting in there. You're kind of a basically a, a glorified carpenter, you know, to some extent. <laughs> um, and then I think when I realized I could be an orthopedic oncologist, when I when I was exposed to the fact that you could do orthopedics and still take care of cancer patients, that was like a it was a, the light bulb went off. You know, it was like, that's, that's my, that's what I got to do for the rest of my life. Aha, there it is. And, uh, and it was helpful. I had some really good mentors in medical school as well. I've been, thank, I've been really lucky to have great mentors throughout my entire, um, you know, educational experience that have helped me, helped me along my way. And I had some good mentors in medical school that were orthopedic oncologists themselves. And so helped guide me in that direction. So. Well, that's, that's powerful and definitely a light bulb moment. 
Um, you lost someone um, with cancer, and that's usually where that you know cancer calling comes from. That's how people get so deeply involved with raising money, with cycling, and uh, running for American Cancer Society or other things. And you know, my mom having lymphoma for thirty years. I mean, those people are they're just special. Um, they uh, they just put so much of themselves into caring for others, and it's a battle that gets lost as many times or more than it's won. Um, so those people are special. They're um, they have big hearts. And they have to suffer losses and they have to bounce back. And that's not easy because it really applies to what we're talking about with COVID right now. And, um, you know, your mentors, do you want to mention any of them? Give them a shout out. Well, I will, I'll mention I'll say Ed McCarthy, who is a, actually a bone pathologist at Pat Hopkins. I'll have to give a shout out to him. And then the other person I have to give a shout out to is Carol Morris, who's an orthopedic oncologist like myself, but, but I met her in residency, but she also helped guide me, you know, in my career. So those are some two easy, easy shout outs. That's great. So. That's great. Um, and, you know, like when I work on the final show and we do the editing and uh, work it out with my my producer, um, who's great. I always put that stuff in the show notes. So if they're on Facebook or Instagram anywhere, we'll tag them in the show notes. And if they somehow catch the episode, I'm sure if they're driving in their car, if they're runners like us and running a run, they hear it. I just know because Anna on her show at Runners of New York City, um, um, Chris Chavez and um, Leanne Sherrick were asking, hey, is the running community like doing anything special for you guys? Are they just letting you know we love you? And, you know, besides that, is anybody doing anything special for you? And Anna like told the whole story about how I was sending catered food over there. And <laughs> I was uh, 23 miles into my um, second marathon in five days because of work scheduling. I was spacing them out seven days apart. I didn't have a choice. And I'm in Central Park <laughs> running 26 miles by myself, you know, just beaten. I mean, beaten to a pulp. I mean, literally, I was so dead at that moment. I wasn't hurt or anything. I just was just exhausted. I was literally on fumes and I had stashed my bottles. I thought I was so smart. What can I was like, so giving myself the pats on the back. I stashed them on the bridle. I'm like, I got this figured out. But what I didn't realize that I got there so late that it was literally pitch black, like beyond belief. And I'm like, I couldn't find those bottles in a million years. Like, what am I going to do? Go start crawling on my hands and knees. The cops are going to come out. I'll probably get locked up and I won't finish my 26 miles. So I, I was like on fumes, like the car that was down to its last eighth of a tank. And then Anna talked about that and it just, it was just wonderful. So it made, made me feel great. Um, so yeah, I think the shout out part, that's super cool. Um, because one day somebody, some, one of your residents, maybe I'll talk about the impact that you had for them and how you helped them, uh, guide them in their career or did something interesting for them in COVID or maybe even some patient, uh, like I talked about in the Facebook post, one of, uh, Ronnie's Regis high school friends, uh, Tyler shock, you operated on one of his family members. I can't remember if it was his uncle or his grandfather, but he's doing well, God bless. And as soon as I read it, I swear I put the post up and like two minutes later, it was back. I was like, she's awesome. She operated on, I, I, I feel terrible. I can't remember if it was his uncle or grandfather. It doesn't matter. It was a great outcome. And, you know, I think it's important because, you know, you got to, those wins, you got to celebrate them and you got to feel good because, you know, when, when it goes the other way, it hurts, you know, and, and uh, bouncing back isn't always so easy, right? That's right. That's right. And we've all been there. We've lost close. Everybody does. Everybody, I mean, if you've been in healthcare, you lose a patient that you've had, you've got a close relationship with, and it just stabs at your heart, you know, for, for a long, long time. Yeah. So. Yeah. So psychologically, like, do you counsel your residents? Like, how do you talk to them about how to just try to deal with things specifically? I mean, in terms of like what real life is going to be when COVID's over, but like, what kind of advice are you giving to them, you know, to kind of help them? Yeah. You know, I, the advice I give them right now during this time, because they do need to take care of themselves, right. And they need to, 
they need to feed their their personal energy. So the things I say to them right now is, and, and each resin's different what, what works for them, but exercise if they can, because I do think exercise is a great outlet for keeping some level of calm. Um, you know, taking care of yourself in some way, like I said, do something nice for yourself each day, whether that be a run or buying yourself a cookie, if a cookie makes you really, really happy or whatever it is, do something good for yourself. So that you're feeling good and it's hard. You're going to have some losses that hurt and you, and they're going to stay with you. I, I, I always tell people, I don't think, I don't think you can make that go away. You can't make that pain go away. It's going to be there. It's going to hurt. And in some ways it's okay to embrace that it's going to hurt. You know, it's, it's okay to cry in your pillow at night. I've, I've had more than one night of crying in my pillow over a patient, you know, during these times and in previous times. So. Yeah, I think that's great advice um, in so many different areas because we got to process our emotions somehow. So you have to find somebody, you know, I think in your case, it might be rough to come home. You know, you have your husband's home with a, a 16 month old. You want to get your clothes off. He wants to hug you, your little boy. And, you know, you have to put the, the Heisman pose up and give the stiff arm to keep everybody safe. And it's just, it sucks, man. You just I just want to say it just sucks because what do you want to do more than anything in the world is just hug your family. You want to hug your husband. You want to hug your kid. I want to hug my mom so hard that like I'm going to break rib cartilage in her and she's going to be 88 years old, but I can't. I mean, I haven't been able to see my mom in over 60 days. I haven't seen my son in over 60 days. My brother, who is my business partner at work, haven't seen him in over 60 days. Other than Zoom calls, my other brother, haven't seen him in over 60 days. My, my niece's nephew is like... And running, like that's my thread that pulls my life together. That's what makes me like the best version of myself, the, the best human being that I can be. And I live for organizing the group runs, you know, whether it's on the bridal path or going up to the Rockies on the weekend or, or running over here on the Jersey side of the water and just seeing how spectacular, you know, New York is in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, and just hanging out with people and then going out for breakfast, lunch, or a drink. And just, you know, enjoying those moments, taking a few fun, silly pictures and just celebrating life. And it's all gone. You know, I'm trapped here with my beautiful dog and, you know, Ronnie's grand piano behind me and I'm stuffed into this little, little space. But, you know, I just wanted to take us on this track because it, it just drives me crazy. We, we talked a little before we came on the air with people have this insane sense of whatever, either they just don't believe that this is real and they're literally delusional. Okay. They're out of their effing minds. Okay. Or the and, numbers are off yeah. We, I'd like to take, you know, some sort of object of some sort and beat them. Um, because now the weather's gotten better, right? So I know what that means. It's okay in my apartment buildings to go put your chairs out on the lawn and all sit, you know, six inches away from each other because it's a nice day. I'm sorry. I didn't get the memo. Is COVID okay now? It's, it's all clear. Like we now have vaccines. We're all safe. Like our antibodies are good. Like, I'm sorry. Like this is what I personally struggle with, or like the runners who just feel like, um, no, I'm not going to run with a mask. I'm not going to run with a buff. And I'm not saying you got to run with, you know, a, you know, a PPE mask on. I'm not saying that, but you can at least have a bandana, which I'm holding up in my zoom screen. You can at least have a buff around your neck where if you get close to somebody, you can throw it up there. So I just think, um, 
it's time for people to think about others. You're a doctor, the not doctors and nurses and people that are they're overwhelmed that these systems are getting bombarded. Stop being selfish in life and think about the other people that you're going to impact. You can't be certain when you run around a corner that there's going to be somebody there. So by going out with no mask on every single time or no buff or no bandana, you know, you know, it's just it's just it's just maddening and I I wish people would we just take it more seriously. I agree. I agree with you. And I, we saw this weekend, you know, and again, because the weather was nice, people were playing, you know, there's a, a full on soccer game going on down near our field, you know, with, with a full contact, you know, everybody just, and you're like, all right, nobody's following. There's one person with a mask on. Everybody else is just running around the field and they're young people. I get it in their mind. They think, well, if I get it, it's not that big of a deal. But the problem is you bring it home to your grandmother your child, your friend, your healthcare worker, whatever, you're bringing it to others. And that's the problem because you're five or six days before you even know you've got it at the earliest, you know, that's the the frustrating part, you know, and we're going to see as things open up and as people start to be a little stupid, we're going to see numbers go back up again, most likely, you know, that's why I wanted to bring it up. Um, cause you know, the listeners of the show, sure. We have a, a good, uh, a good following here in New York, New Jersey, like the Metro area, but and I've got running friends from, you know, God knows how many countries that I've met along my marathoning journeys. And they all listen, man. I got people in Poland and Italy and, and Guatemala and France and other fun countries and Spain. And, um, you know, like we're all struggling with this to different degrees. We're obviously the epicenter, like underscored, like 128 bold point type. I mean, people just don't realize just how bad it is here. And, you know, when you see a picture of being able to run down Fifth Avenue without any cars, forget about any people like this is this is New York City. I've I've done these marathons where I left Central Park and ran down to the Freedom Tower. I feel like I'm an outtake in the I Am Legend Will Smith movie. Like, that's what it really feels like. Am I on a movie set and people are actually going to start coming out and go roll, roll film? Like, there's no one here. There's no one here. But that's okay. We're all fine. It's it's all good. I think the exact same thing is I, I, I try to go run, run early in the morning and, and, Oh, I see my kiddo. I run early in the morning and, uh, and it's, it's pretty quiet at that time, but it's usually not that quiet, but because things are so, you know, locked down, it's quiet. You know, it, it looks like a Will Smith, you know, the, the, what's his name movie. Yes, yeah. I am. Legend. I am legend. Your door's opening. I love it. I, I love zoom. We could see everything. He can come, he can come on camera. We he don't mind. Hey. <laughs> All right, let me go give him the dad real quick. He'll start pushing the button. Good to see you, Miles. Nice to meet you. Say bye-bye. Say bye-bye. I'll see you on a run sometime. You will see him on a run. Yeah. So, I'm going to go give him over to dad. I'll okay, back. great. Two seconds. All right, I'm back, Ron. Sorry about that. <laughs> that that was easily the best all time. <laughs> it just in, injected right into the show. That's the best. Uh-huh. I mean, that is absolutely classic. So let's let's use that as a little transition point to talk a little about your running, because obviously you are one of our absolute top masters runners on the team, and um, I just like to talk to you a little bit about you know your own running journey, you know when you got started, you know as a kid, how you got started, like what what did that path look like for you? Yeah, so I I was a little bit late to running in that I mean not as late as some people, but I didn't start till my senior year of high school, and. It, this goes back to mentors again. I, this I coach Joe, he saw me, you know, on a corner one day after school, like at the very beginning of the, of the school year and said, you should do, you're going to join cross country. And I didn't even know the guy. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then the <laughs> next day <laughs> I was at the cross country practice. Oh my gosh. I love it. 
Coach Joe flagging you down in a stop sign. I love That's it. Basically, it's you That's know exactly yeah, right. But now, in the world we live in now, our parents would be accusing them of being a stalker or something, yeah. right? Because <laughs> yeah. you know, when we grew up, and I'm obviously much older than you, but when we grew up, we went to the park when it was sunrise, and we came back like hours after it was pitch black, and no one worried, and we had no phones, and we could have been chopped up in the woods, and no one would have known for days. But yeah, right. I mean, if you want to talk about a different world, it's oh wait, wait, who talked to you? You don't know who this man is? What's his name? I don't know about that. You better go reporting to the principal. I mean, honestly, we're kidding and making some fun of it, but you know, man, it is, it's a different world, right? It's a different world now. That's it right. really is. That's right. so, <laughs> so we, thanks to coach Joe, thanks to coach Joe. So your senior year now, did you play plenty other sports or just cross country? No, I just started, you know, I really was not, I, I was, I was a little, I was always an athletic kid in the sense that I love to run, jump, play, but I was never on, in any um, organized sports up till that point in time. And Running was just such a click for me. You know, I, I joined the I joined the cross country team. The that first day was misery. It you know hill workout. I was like, I'm never doing this again. But somehow I showed up the day after that, the day after that, and kept going. And uh, and ever since then, it's just been a passion to have. I'm so glad running's in my life. But it was my first organized sport, and it's the it'll be my last organized sport probably. So that is such that's such a great story because um, most of us follow a brother or a sister into some sport, whatever it might be, soccer, lacrosse, baseball, football, basketball, swimming, uh, gymnastics, you name it. I mean, it's usually something, a brother, a sister, a relative, a friend, or their mom and dad was a really good athlete and just drags you, drags you into a sport. So, you know, thanks to coach Joe, you know, that's, she, he set the hook, got you going with high school. And then, uh, when you got to Hopkins, you, you ran for them as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I should say I went to actually my undergrad Hopkins was my medical school. But oh, undergrad, sorry about yeah. that. Okay. Undergrad was Millersville university, a small state school in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Okay. So, uh, and I ran cross, I ran cross country and track and field for them. Yes. For about a year or so, but I actually left the team and started running on my own because I, um, it was, there was conflict between being in the honors program and doing my academics and, and running. So I kind of chose the, the honors program over, over the running at that point in terms of just being on a team, but I continued to run all through that. Then in Hopkins, I did run, but not on a formal team with them. Just kind of was, I was like you at that point, organizing all the like medical school runs for charity as much as I could. So yeah. Um, Getting people and- active getting people active. And it actually wasn't. And so I kept running on my own in, in college and medical school, just as a release, a stress relief. It was a, it was a, it was a thing I just needed to do through medical school to relieve my stresses, et cetera. But it was a good friend of mine who was a marathon runner in medical school who got me into marathons, um, towards the end of medical school. And that sort of is really where I think my running took another level. Like, because once I started training for marathons, you just kind of take on a different, like, mentality, I think for some, it's more, a little bit more serious. You're like, I'm in this, I'm doing this. Um, so, so it's, and then ever since then, I've just been, you know, going. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, any of the other distances, you know, you could, I mean, I think virtually anybody can go out and run a half. I mean, you know, you may not run a very good one and you might end up having to walk the last couple of miles, but I mean, you can make it through 13 miles, but you, you can't, you cannot make it through a marathon without some serious formalized training, um, learning a little bit about nutrition, 
um, you know, making sure you're running in a pair of sneakers that you're not going to do orthopedic damage to as I'm talking to the orthopedic surgeon in front of me. Um, because we all know, man, mechanics and anatomy, it all breaks down in a hurry. And I could diagnose more running injuries than like anybody. I got no MD creds. And I, I don't have any of that, but I'll just, I'm just like, okay, where you been running? Okay. Okay. You've been running on a 45 degree pitched road and you're wondering why you have knee pain. Okay. Let's see if we can maybe change this equation a little. Let's leave it on a on the dirt for a little while or we get to the grass or, uh, you know, we get to a little different surface. So what a, what a cool, uh, what a cool story. So where did you grow up? You, so you went to college in Pennsylvania. Where did you grow up? I grew up in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So my high school was a, a school, a, sub, a suburban school right outside of Philadelphia. So I grew up pretty much in the suburbs of Philadelphia most of my life and then went to school in, in Pennsylvania. So right outside of, Pens- of Philadelphia, um, and then from there, Baltimore for medical school, and then kind of bounced around the Northeast for training and everything. Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't really too far from home. I mean, you're, you're, you're pretty much hunkered down. And I know at some point you were in Rochester doing your medical stuff, right? Before you ended up back here with us, right? That's right. My first job out of, out of training. So when I finished my residency and fellowship was actually in Rochester, New York, and I was there for eight years. And actually in Rochester is how I got introduced to team running because I um, got encouraged by a friend to join at that time, the, the Genesee Valley Harriers, which is a running team in, in Rochester, New York. So I joined them and that actually also changed me in many ways because I suddenly was running for a whole team again, you know, which I hadn't done since college. So uh, that was a real nice experience. So put that singlet on. Yeah. Yeah. Get, right. get, get, get your gear on. But now it's CPTC. And now it's, now we got Central Park Track Club, but we got Tracksmith gear coming yes. our way. So I'm <laughs> so excited. I love that brand. Uh, just such an awesome clothing brand, but way more important than the clothing, just how they work with athletes, how they interact with the running community, what they stand for, their writing, their message. It's just a great company to be aligned with. So I'm super excited that they're going to have a big impact on what we're doing uh, some of our new partners with the club. And yeah, I mean, it was fun. I used to get to run with you and Judy a little bit at the armory and that was always fun when we could do some workouts and I would try to chase, chase you two around, which wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't all that easy. Cause I'm not the track guy. I'm the, I'm the distance marathon guy. But man, I got to tell you, I look forward to the days when we can all just go for a run and not have to worry about how many feet apart we are. And if we actually physically touch or, you know, can we give somebody a hug? Um, so that's something we all have to think about. And uh, Judy is Judy's going to be coming on, coming on the show soon too. So we're going oh, to get Judy on. Judy was telling me that you killed it at our cross country, uh, t- the team meet that we had down in uh, Pennsylvania, right? You did really well, right? I did. I did. But I have to say, Judy's phenomenal. She's such an amazing runner. I wish I, I hope to aspire to be her someday. <laughs> That's my goals. But I love cross country is actually my favorite um, type of running, I, which is crazy, right? It's, it's, it's mud, it's grit, it's cold out. It's, you know, it's the weather is always so variable. I love it. So I think, I think cross country is awesome. It's, it's a true test of when you really think about running, um, not perfect on a track, where it's level and even. And although the New York City Marathon is greatness because they're running through the barrels, there's something really special, as you said, talking about going up to Van Cortland and maybe it's raining and it's muddy or it's snowing and you know, you're know you slipping, you're sliding and you're going straight up and down these cliffs. And 
man, you're, you're, that's like you're eight years old again, where you're out of breath and you can't breathe. Then regular running, you don't get that, you know, or your feet are slipping. And if you have spikes on, are they digging in too much in the mud or not? So yeah, I, I was so heartbroken. I had to miss um, that championship because we had great participation. We had a huge turnout from our team and we did really well. And everybody, I saw the pictures and I felt so, uh, it was definitely, you know, like fear of missing out, you know, FOMO hit hard for me, but I don't know. I probably just run like two marathons in two weeks or something dumb. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, but that's what we have to look forward to. And, uh, you know, being able to get back to the armory and do some track workouts and push each other. Um, what's your favorite event besides cross country? Do you have a favorite distance event, like the mile, like 10 K longer stuff? What's your favorite? Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. I go back and forth. I have to say I'm probably, Ooh, it's probably 5k or 10k. I, and actually I might even say 10k because I, I like the 10k because I can, sh- I, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a short enough distance. That you still can have some speed in it, right? Like you still have a little bit of speed there, but it's long enough that if you have one mile that you're a little off with, you can still recover. You, yeah. know, you haven't destroyed the whole race because you weren't good for one mile. So yeah, you're right. Um, and that's a t- 10K is a tough race to get right. It's a really tough race to get right. Um, you can, you, you know, I don't know. I find the longer stuff is easier for me. I'm just more suited for it. But I can have a good half marathon, even when I've struggled in patches, where I'm just strong enough mentally to say, okay, I'm at this point. I have 5K to go. I know I'm hurting like all hell, but I'm going to find another gear. I'm going to go black for last, you know, 5k. I'm going dark. I'm going to the pain cave, you know, put me in there and let me see how much I can take. And maybe I don't get exactly where I want, but I, I drive back. I finish strong. And then I feel like I got a lot out of that day. If you run a really bad 10k and you screw it up, man, you are, you are going to blow it up big time. You're going to, you're going to have an awful race. You're going to be in serious pain and your splits are going to be like, wait, what happened here? Right. Like, what yeah. Happened? Like the accordion or something like is going on. You look at it and go, what did you do here? Yeah. yeah. And I like, I like that distance because you also have time to strategize. So you can kind of look around the people around you and go, okay, this person's running my pace. I'm going to, I'm going to drag with them for a while. And that, you know, it's just fun to have that kind of mental play game. Yeah, no doubt. And look, um, I think also the advice you gave to your residents is so important. Um, it's one of the things I pass along to my own team when we do our group zoom calls. And I say to them, look, you, I wish you were all fortunate to have this thing that you, I just have this deep love and burning passion that I want to run. That's what I want to do. And people say to me, you're going to run in the marathon. Like, I want to do this. I want, this is my, this is my contribution that I can do to feel like I'm doing something hard so that people will say, okay, he's doing something hard. And then everything he's doing from this is going back to other people. So it's, it's a, it's a reciprocal circular thing, but I feel like it has to be hard. If it isn't hard, how can I ask anybody to give any money towards this cost? Like it's gotta be hard. I'm not, I can't go run five miles in the park. I got to run a marathon every week. And you know what? I'll, I'll let you in a little secret right here. I don't know if I'm going to stop when I hit six. Um, because the truth is, um, hit over $4,000 in fundraising last night due to just amazing friends and people who support me. And I'm matching like dollar for dollar what I'm raising. Um, and so it's going to, it's going to be able to stay around for a while now. And I don't want it to stop because you know, firsthand COVID isn't going anywhere. It's not going anywhere for a while. And, um, it's the mindset we have to have is you have to have that long-term look. And that's why as a marathoner, it helps that you can look at, a really long-term vision of you don't run 
one great marathon by putting in one good training cycle or a few good weeks in a training cycle. It takes years and years of development to the body. You know, as the orthopedic surgeon, like the capillary development, the aerobic development, the, the long, slow miles, like the building the base and getting strong and having the body be able to hold up. Like, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I know the Lord looks out for me and for my mom and my family because I keep saying, how am I not broken? Like, how am I okay? But I am okay. And I knock on wood. And when I say my prayers tonight, because obviously I'm not trying to run these fast. I can't. I don't have any aid stations. I got to lug my own crap around with me and I'm running. But if I can just keep doing this and keep bringing some money in and keep sending that out to the universe and giving love back to the people like you that are making these sacrifices, that's a good thing. So we got to keep, got to keep doing that. I got to tell you, that's important because I, so by the way, I have to thank you. And I didn't have a chance to say this, but the the food you dropped off was awesome. I mean, the, the nerve, it's just, it's more of like the, just the feeling of appreciation more so than anything. The food was great too, but the nurses and the staff, they just feel appreciated. And sometimes they need that. They need to know that, that, that they're, that they're, the work is not going, going in vain, you know? Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, that's that's it in its simplest form because most of the time you're all masked up in PPE. Like when I met you out in front, you know, but I could see your eyes and I can tell by looking at somebody's eyes. And certainly somebody can tell by looking at my eyes when somebody's happy or they're sad or they're struggling or having a rough day or their other facial expressions. So yes, it makes a difference because if somebody did that for me, you better believe it would make a difference. When somebody writes me a card or writes me a note, man, I read it. I, I feel like a million dollars. Like, wow, somebody took the time. They sent me a card. They wrote me a note. Like that's it's special. So you're all special. You're all sacrificing so much. So we got to do our part and we got to keep grinding and got to stay in the fight. That's my, that's, right. that's my hashtag at Goggin stole from me or I stole from him. I don't really know, <laughs> but uh, maybe I'll get him to run one of these with me. And, and if he does a share on his Facebook page for me, forget about it. I'll get like, you know, all kinds of money will be coming in then to right. really, really keep this thing going. So um, it's been so awesome talking to you. I would never roll out. I always, you know, throw it back one last time. Is there anything, you know, top of mind for you? It could be in any area of your life, something that you're thinking about, you know, it could be keeping you up at night, making you happy, just anything at all that you want to throw out there as like one last point to discuss before we, uh, before we do our thing. Oh, okay. So I think, I guess I, I wouldn't mind giving a shout out to, to my residents and all of the, like the, the trainees at the hospital, because, you know, again, they, they, this is not what they originally signed up for. They, they put their heads down and went to work in, in almost every circumstance to get things done. And, uh, and, and, and they, and they've taken care of a lot of patients and, and done a lot of really good things. So I have to say, I got to give a shout outs to all the trainees, all the residents across all of the departments in our hospital. Just, they've done a phenomenal job. That's wonderful. Um, and I guarantee you, um, when they find out that you're on a podcast and they, they get to check it out and they hear that, I, I just mean it. There's something really special. You know what I mean? When some, if you walk by and you hear somebody saying, oh, well, Kenda's awesome. She's a total badass," or she, she <laughs> stitched up and put my husband back together and fixed his hip and took care of his tumor. And, you know, when you hear that, it should make you feel like a million dollars. So I know that your residents will hear those words and, and be inspired and feel really good about it. Uh, about themselves and they should um, because these are hard times. So it's wonderful that you're thinking of others. Um, that's what uh, healthcare people are all about. They're selfless and they're um, looking to care for others. And, and in your case, put people back together and make them better. 
Um, so thank you for, for doing what you do every single day. Um, thanks for being a, an awesome teammate. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your perspective, you know, from the, from the doctor surgical side of what it's been like and what it is like and, uh, and, and talking with me on the show. Cause it's been really awesome. It's been a pleasure, Ron. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been fun talking to you. Okay. So we always roll out our show with peace out. And everybody, always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was so much fun. Some takeaways. Wakenda's brilliant. She has a huge job as Division Chief of Orthopedic Oncology at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. And she obviously does it incredibly well. I love the gratitude she shared for her mentors and her residents. You can tell how just how proud she is of how well they're adapting to being plugged into triage roles, working in ICU, and in many other areas that they certainly had not signed on for. And she is certainly proud of the way they're handling that change and what that's been like for them under her care. And I know personally, I have a huge soft spot for anybody that focuses on cancer care because my mom has had lymphoma for 25 plus years and battled through other cancers as well. And where would we be in this world if it weren't for people like Wakanda and other healthcare heroes that focus on cancer care? It takes a special kind of person to sign up to focus on that area of specialty because they have to deal with a lot of loss and they've got to bounce back and they've got to be really resilient. The same kind of characteristics required to make it through a battle like we're experiencing right now with COVID-19. So God bless the awesome people like Wakanda that are out there in this fight doing great things for us, not only on the cancer front, but on the COVID-19 front, because where would we be without them? And that story about her changing outside the door and not being able to pick up her beautiful son, Miles, when she came in, it really tugged at my heartstrings. Just shows you a real life insight into what it's like for them when they come home and that fear of passing the coronavirus along to loved ones and family members. It's real, it's gripping, and um, it definitely hit home with me where we are facing this pandemic uh, up close and personal. And I really enjoyed the story about Coach Joe. What a random, crazy story. Could you imagine if he hadn't thrown that out to her to show up and uh, come out to the team workout the next day? And of course, Wakenda does in fact show up struggles with the first workout is like talking to herself like she's never going to come back, but does and becomes an absolute beast and badass of a runner. Um, what a fun story. And of course, it could probably never take place today because uh, if you went home and told your parents something like that, people would think it's a stalker or something else crazy. So God bless. The times we live in are just so different. Anyway, um, so inspired by Wakenda's story. She's making such a difference out there. Um, so if you hear this episode, um, please share it with your friends. If you're inspired by Wakanda's story, as I know you will be, take the take a moment to rate the episode on Apple Podcasts, maybe write a review, share it with your friends on Instagram stories, share it on Facebook, spread the love around because she's a rock star and the story's inspirational 
And I have no doubt that it will move people and maybe somebody out there will listen to that story and decide to pursue such a unique specialty like Wakenda has chosen and have an impact on lives one day in medicine as she is doing. So for anyone who's taken the time to do that for me, that helps users find run chats, I just want to say thank you and how appreciative I am for that because it most definitely helps us find new users for the show. And that's what we want. We want to build a platform of positivity and share more amazing stories like Wakenda's with the community that's out there. So thank you to everyone who's been doing that. And to everybody out there, just let's just keep lacing them up. Running isn't canceled. We need our miles. We need to keep our health and sanity together. No question it's helping Wakenda and some of her residents and colleagues keep it together throughout the, the crisis and the stress levels that they're facing, which are so incredibly high. So let's keep getting out that door. Let's keep getting those miles in. And I just want to say thanks to everybody who's following along and part of our show. We appreciate having you with us. So from me on my end, I just want to say peace out and always remember people to stay in the fight. God bless. <laughs>